Now, let me start with a question. Can you think of a time in your life where you really anticipated something or you were really longing for something? And maybe you can think back to your, your childhood or, or maybe even now, you're like, yeah, I know exactly what that is. There's something that's really on my heart. There's something that I'm really longing for. I can think back to the time when I was a, a kid growing up uh, and I, I don't know, I, think this, I guess this is late 80s, but it's kind of the, the Tony Hawk skateboarding craze. So, so some of the, you, you guys who are a little bit older, you might remember that as well. And so I just thought that was so cool. And man, I wanted a skateboard so bad for Christmas. And so I, I begged my parents for a skateboard. And I remember going downstairs and looking under the tree on the Christmas morning. And there was something that looked like it was the perfect size for a skateboard. And I was like, man, maybe that's, I'm gonna be just like Tony Hawk. And so going down there and I opened up, it's this awesome skateboard. I'm like, yeah, this is the best day ever. So I can, I can remember that sense, even as a kid of anticipation, right? of longing for something and then getting it and just that feeling of, oh man, that's awesome. Maybe for some of you, you're, you're in your teen years, you're in your early 20s, right? And for you, the thing that you're really longing for, you're really anticipating is finding Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, right? And you're just like, man, when I find that one person and they completely complete me, my life's gonna be awesome. I'm not gonna have any problems in life until you find them and you get married. You're like, oh dang, I guess it's something else, right? <laughs> I guess that wasn't it, you know? And then it's like, well, man, maybe it's kids. I can't wait till we have kids and we have one or two little rugrats running around the Christmas tree. It's gonna be awesome. Our family's gonna be complete. It's awesome. And then you get kids and you're like, man, when do they graduate? When do they, when do they, they get out of the house so we can have our life back, right? Or maybe for you, man, you're finishing college or whatever. You're, for you, you're anticipating that perfect job that's gonna pay you 100K a year to sit at home and do whatever you want, whenever you want. And uh, whatever it is, right? Or that perfect promotion, whatever it is that you're longing for, now, we know what that experience is like. And I think this season, Christmas season, really highlights that feeling. I know in my home, right about now, or right after Thanksgiving, that really, that anticipation for Christmas, Christmas Day really gets ramped up. And so for most of my kids' lives, like every single day after Thanksgiving, they'd either ask me or Cheryl, my wife, like, hey, daddy, how many days to Christmas, right? And so it's like 30 more days or 28 more days or 24 more days and so much excitement. And now they don't even ask me. I just hear them in the, in the kitchen in the morning. Hey, Alexa, how many days until Christmas? And so, and so I've been, I've been re replaced by a robot. I'm not sure how I feel about that. But my, my kids are, they are anticipating Something that is coming and it's, and it's good. We all do that and that's not a bad thing. I would actually argue that's, that's a very good thing. It's a, it's a healthy thing. Like we ought to anticipate and long for certain good things in life. And that's why today we are kicking off our Advent Christmas series. Now, if you're new to the church world, you're new to Christianity, that word Advent may seem strange to you. As Pastor Rodney mentioned earlier, Advent just comes from a Latin word, and it literally means coming or the arrival of something. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be anticipating the four traditional themes of Christmas or the Advent season, hope, peace, love, and joy. So we're starting today with hope. You can see the hope candle has already been lit, and every single Sunday, we're going to uh, light another Advent candle. Now, if we could just be honest for a minute on the front end of our time together, the, the last year and year and a half, two years, however long, I feel, kind of feel like we're in a time warp. I don't even know what day it is half the time, what year we're in half the time. If we could just be honest, I think most of us would have to confess that the last couple of years for most of us, at least for many of us, has been a season of loss more than it's been a season of hope. 
And the reality is most of us have lost something over the course of the last 18 months. So I would just guess that some of you have probably lost jobs. Some of you perhaps have even lost a loved one. Others of you, I know for a fact, you've lost income. For those of you who are high school age, I know that there are special events that you simply missed out on, like prom or graduation ceremonies. Man, we've even lost simple things that make us human, like the ability to walk in a grocery store and see somebody smile back at us. Right? I had that experience this last week. I was walking through a grocery store and I smiled at the cashier and I was like, dude, I'm wasting my time. She can't even see that I'm smiling. And if she smiled back, I couldn't tell. Like it, we, we were losing the things that actually make us human. Now, those may seem like trivial losses, but they are losses nonetheless. And I promise you, those things add up in the human mind and psyche. I think Man, I really believe this. Some, some people might think I'm exaggerating. I think that most of our population right now is living with low-level PTSD. Just, just whiplash, man. Over the last two years, we've all lost so stinking much. You, you watch the news cycle. If you have a, your finger on the pulse of our culture, here's what I think is happening. I think in our culture, maybe even globally right now, I think we are experiencing a deficit of hope. I think we're operating in a, in a hope deficit. I came across a news article as I was uh, preparing this week. Now listen to this. Here, here is the title of the article. This is the title. 51% of young Americans say they feel down, depressed, or hopeless. The article goes on to cite several polls by the CDC and Harvard Research that suggest one in four adults ages 18 to 24 have considered suicide the last 18 months. One in four young people. According to a recently released Harvard Youth Poll, 51% of young Americans aged 18 through 29, over half, said that at least several days in the last two weeks they felt down, depressed, or hopeless. Over half. Friend, we are, we are living in a day and age where there is an epidemic of hopelessness. Now here's why, here's why this is actually a really big deal. And this is the first truth that I just kind of want to hammer home. I'm going to put it up on the screens for you. If you take notes, write this down. We, as human beings, we are hardwired for hope. We are created to be, to be hopeful people. Like we, we need this to thrive and function in a healthy way as human beings. You probably have heard the saying, I think it's actually true, that a man can live for a month without food, he can live for a few days without water, but he can't even live for a minute without hope. Now think about the movies and uh, maybe some of the music that has defined our culture over the course of the last generation when it comes to hope. Think about the first Star Wars movie, maybe the best one of all times, A New Hope, right? Star Wars, A New Hope, launched the whole thing. For those of you who are into chick flicks, how about Hope Floats, right? You, me you remember that movie back in the high school days? I remember that. For uh, you country music fans, God bless your soul, um, I Hope You Dance. You remember that song? That thing played on the radio for like years, constantly. Uh, if you're not a, a country music fan, how about High Hopes by Panic at the Disco? Right? That's a good one to work out to, run to. We Listen, the point is, our culture knows this. 
We, we make movies about this. We sing songs about this. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist. It doesn't matter if you're a Buddhist. We are hardwired for hope. It is just intri- it is inside of us. We want it. We pursue it. We need it. I went back this week and I, and I did some research on surviving POWs because I was thinking, man, who, who would understand hope better than anyone? I thought, man, people that were prisoners of war, maybe they would. So I went back and I read some interviews and I came across a guy, maybe you've heard of him, a guy named Sergeant Lloyd Ponder. And uh, Lloyd Ponder was captured by the, the Japanese in World War II and he's placed into basically a concentration camp for American soldiers. And he was talking about the torture that they experienced. He was talking about the sleep deprivation, the starvation, and he talked about the soldiers who lost hope were the ones who didn't make it. And he actually ends his interview with a really powerful quote. I'm gonna put his quote up on the screens for you. This is, this is how he ended his interview. He said, hope makes a difference. If you don't have hope, you're gone. Having hope can get you through anything. We are hardwired for hope. Hope is to the spirit what oxygen is to the body. And here's what I believe. I think so many people in our culture and our society today are absolutely suffocating inside because they've lost hope or they've misplaced their hope. Now, for sure, God, God knows us about us, right? He, he created us. He designed this hard wire, wiring inside of us that's designed to be hope chasers and hope seekers. He made us this way. In fact, if you think all the way back to the Genesis narrative, back in the garden, right, life was hopeful in the beginning, right? Everything was perfect. perfect. It was flawless, right? There's no, no death, no sadness, no disease, none of that stuff. And then we get through chapters one and two of Genesis. By the time we hit Genesis chapter three, we see our first parents, Adam and Eve, choosing sin over God, just like you and I would have done if we were in the garden too, right? And at that point in time, brokenness, sin is injected into creation and nothing has been the same since. So now we've got sin, we've got death, we've got disease, we have natural disasters, we have We have viruses, we have murder, we have rape, we have everything awful that we experience in our world today. That all began at the fall in Genesis chapter three. But here's the beautiful thing. In that same chapter, Genesis chapter three, God whispers a very hopeful promise to our first parents, right? Adam and Eve, the very first human beings who were for the very first time experiencing loss and sadness and shame and hopelessness. God whispers this beautiful promise of hope in Genesis 3.15. In fact, I love the way that the Jesus Storybook Bible for kids kind of paraphrases Genesis 3.15. By the way, this is in your Advent book. If you got that, you probably read it this week. Uh, if you don't have, if you, by the way, if you have kids, if you have grandkids, and they don't have a Jesus Storybook Bible, I would just encourage you. That's, that's a great Christmas gift. But I want to read that passage to you. This will be on the screens for you as well. So what it says in Genesis chapter three, paraphrased. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. This is beautiful. It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness you let in here. I am coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. And if you know the biblical narrative, he did come. 
2,000 years ago, he came as Emmanuel, God with us, God wrapped in human flesh, the God who is with us and the God who is for us, Emmanuel. Now, I want to show you an example of this type of anticipatory hope that I believe God wants you to walk in during this Christmas season this year. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to open it up, turn it on, go to the New Life app, go to Luke chapter 2. That's where we're going to kind of hang out together this morning, Luke chapter 2. Now, Dr. Luke the author of this gospel gives us the most comprehensive Christmas narrative out of all four gospels, right? So that's why most churches of Christmas season, they, they tend to preach out of Luke. There's more detail there. And Luke tells us, we, we kind of learn about maybe the most, uh, the least well-known, I guess I should say, character in the Christmas story, All right? So whether you're, uh, maybe you've been here for a long time, you're a Christian, maybe this is your first time in church, maybe this is your first time watching online, regardless of where you are spiritually, you probably have heard uh, the Christmas story. You probably have heard of characters like Joseph, right? Like Mary, like baby Jesus, like the angels, like the shepherds, the wise men. But have you heard of a man named Simeon? Some of you maybe have. Some of you for sure probably have not. Now, now we know very little about this man. He burst onto the scene in Luke chapter 2. He's there for just a few verses, and then he just kind of fades into the background of the narrative, never to be heard from again. But here's what we know about Simeon. Two things primarily. We know that he was likely very old, all right? So biblical scholars tell us this is likely a man who is, who is very old. We, now, we don't know if he's like 90, 100, 105. We don't know exactly how old, but we, we know, we can ascertain that he's probably very old. So we can kind of picture this guy. Maybe, maybe he's a little hunched over, Maybe he's got like the, this big, huge white beard like Santa Claus, and got a walking stick, a leathery face. Man, he's really, really old. He graduated from high school with Mark Carlson, and so that should give you like some idea. He's very, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just say that because I, I love Mark, all right? So he, the point is he's very, very old. He's been around the block a time or two. So that's the first thing we know about Simeon. The second thing we know about Simeon is he was a very godly man, right? Luke tells us that he was righteous, that he was devout. This is a man who knew the Lord, who had walked with the Lord for many years. And he was a, he was a holy man. He was not a perfect man, but he was a, he was a godly man. He loved the Lord. And can I just say, man, we, we need more of that in the church today. Man, we need, we need godly, mature seniors Men and women who are investing in young moms and young dads and young singles and college students and high school students. So let me just speak really briefly to the 60 plus, 65 plus crowd at New Life. I want you to know two, two things. The first thing I want you to know is I am really grateful for you. I'm really grateful for you. We need your life experience. We need your wisdom. The second thing I, I need you to know is we, as a body, as a movement, that is the Jesus movement in Asheville, in Western North Carolina, we need you. We, we need you. And so here, here's my plea to you for, for our senior crowd. Please do not check out and coast to the finish line. Please don't check out and coast to the finish line. Listen, the kingdom of Jesus needs both the energy of youth and the wisdom of age. We, we need both to advance the mission of Jesus. And so, seniors, I want you to understand you are half the equation. Please don't check out. 
We need you desperately. And we see this theme in Luke chapter 2. So let's start in verse 22 of chapter 2. Dr. Luke, the author, writes this. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him. They're talking about Joseph and Mary bringing uh, baby Jesus up. This is 40 days after his birth. uh, Brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So here's the picture. We have Joseph and Mary, super young, right? Likely teenagers. And they are following scriptural commands, right? So they're following Old Testament law. So 40 days after the birth of your baby, you would take them up to the temple complex and you would basically dedicate that child to the Lord. So you can kind of, if you're looking for a modern parallel, you can kind of think of like baby dedications or child dedications that we do here at New Life. We typically do those a couple of times a year. So maybe you've seen that here. But here's what I don't want you to miss in this beginning part of this narrative. Joseph and Mary are godly parents, They are trying to live by the scriptures. They are trying to raise their kids by the scriptures. They're not perfect, right? Joseph and Mary are flawed. They're sinners, just like you and I, but they love the Lord. And clearly they're trying to do their best to walk in the ways of the Lord and parent their kids in the ways of the Lord. So let me just talk to the parents for for a second. For those of you who are here in the room, those of you who are online, the greatest gift, mom and dad, The greatest gift that you can give your kids, hear hear me say this, is not a great education. It's great, listen, I'm I'm pro-education. I'm for education. That is not even close to the greatest gift that you can give your kids. Giving your kids perfect teeth via braces that cost as much as a small yacht, that is not, and I know that because I got three kids right now in braces. That is not the greatest gift you can give to your kids. Giving your kids as many opportunities to play sports or learn musical instruments, as great as those things are, that is not the greatest gift that you can give to your kids. Hey, mom and dad, uh, spoiler alert, little Johnny is not gonna play in the majors, all right? You can just kind of chill a little bit. You can kind of relax, the pressure is off. The greatest gift that you can give your kids as parents, listen to me, is to be a godly parent who lives a gospel-centered life in front of your son and your daughters. As moms and dads, man, we've gotta learn to prioritize faith with our kids. We have to learn how to talk about Jesus openly with our children. We gotta learn how to pray together. And I'm not talking about cursory prayers. We just kind of throw up the same lame prayer every time we sit down for a meal or put him in bed. I'm talking about real prayers together as a family. Like, man, what's on your heart? What are you, what are you struggling with? How can, I, how can I take this before the Lord with you? Let me tell you what I'm struggling with in my life right now. And would, would you pray for me? Mom's not perfect. Dad's not perfect. This is really hard right now. I need, I need you to pray for me. Read scripture together. We've made that kind of easy for you in this, this season, right? We've been giving you guys Advent books. And I think there's still a few out there if you haven't grabbed one yet. To walk your family, walk your kids, walk your grandkids through this together. Listen, godly parenting is going to mean learning how to say no to the good so that you can say yes to the great. 
Learning how to say no to the good so that you can say yes to the great. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you. I'm not gonna try to kind of give you this pharisaical model to follow. I'll just tell you for us what it means for my family. We have three kids. They're all involved in in sports and music and all kinds of stuff. I'm just gonna tell you, we've made a commitment. Our kids aren't doing travel ball 30 Sundays a year. They're just not. And so the coaches just know, like they're, they're not gonna be at every tournament in Charlotte. They're not gonna be at every tournament every weekend in Atlanta. We're, just, we're not doing that. We have other priorities. We're not going camping every weekend as soon as the weather gets warm. We're gonna go camping some, we're gonna take a vacation, but we're not going every weekend as soon as it gets warm. We're not gonna say yes to our kids getting a smartphone as soon as they turn 11 just because all their friends have smartphones. We are going to prioritize Jesus in our home and we're gonna prioritize his bride, the local church. And listen, Jesus had that gift from his earthly parents. They were not perfect, they were godly. And parents, I want you to hear me say that. That matters more than you know. Please, mom and dad, give that gift to your kids. More than a better education, more than great sporting opportunities, more than any of that junk, give them Jesus. Give them parents that love the Lord and allow them to watch you follow the Lord in a genuine way. Now, something begins to happen that's kind of interesting in the text. Look at verse 25. Now, we get introduced to our character. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now, again, a lot of people never even heard this cat um, in the Christmas story, but here he is. His name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation, that, uh, that means hope, waiting for the hope of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Okay, so remember, all we know about Simeon, two things, he's likely very old, and he's also clearly very godly. Now, now if you're young, let me, let me just say, that's what you want people to say about you when you get old. She's old and she loves Jesus. That dude is, is old as sin, man, he is mature, but you, dude, you gotta get around him. He just, he loves Jesus. Like he just exudes the spirit of God when you're around him. You just, man, you feel like you're in the presence of God. He's, he's been walking with Jesus for so many years. Man, you gotta get around him. You gotta get around her. In fact, it's, it's really kind of fascinating. Uh, Luke says that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. Now the fascinating thing here is that uh, Luke tells us the Holy Spirit, now think about this. The Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would not see death until he had seen the Messiah with his own two eyes. Now, just just put yourself in Simeon's place. How awesome would that promise be? That you literally know you are bulletproof. You are immortal until the Messiah shows up. Like how awesome would, how would that change your life? Like, so Cheryl tells me, uh, you know, at the Christmas dinner, like, hey man, Chris, you probably shouldn't eat that second slice of cheesecake because I want you to have a heart attack and die. Baby, I'm immortal until Jesus shows up. I got nothing to worry about. Like, Chris, you probably shouldn't buy that motorcycle. It's dangerous. You could die. We got three kids. Baby, I, I am bulletproof until Jesus shows up. The Holy Spirit told me. You want to argue with the Spirit of God? Like, that's a pretty sweet deal that Simeon has going on. And watch what happens in verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, that Simeon, he just scoops Jesus up. He just takes him up in his arms and he begins to bless God. And he said, now let's just pause there. Think about this scene. Simeon for 80, 90, 100 years. He's been waiting for this moment. The Holy Spirit wakes him up that morning and says, today's the day. 
Today's the day. I want you to get ready. I want you to go to the temple. Today's the day that you're gonna see the Messiah with your own two eyes. And just picture this, this old, weathered, godly man just shuffling into the temple complex. Maybe it's taking all the energy that he has. All of a sudden, he looks across the temple complex and he sees Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus and the Holy Spirit reveals to him, that's the one. That's the God of this universe. That's the king of kings. You're looking at your very creator. Just imagine him. He runs over there and he picks up baby Jesus. I just imagine like tears of joy streaming down his face. His heart just filled with gratitude, right? He has waited for this moment for his entire life. He's placed all of his hope in this savior, this Messiah, and now he's here. See, and don't, don't miss this. Simeon placed his hope in the right thing and that makes all the difference. Makes all the difference. I can remember when... Um, Cheryl and I, we had our, our first child, uh, Haley, over in uh, Asia when we lived over there. And uh, she was about a year old, and we had a lot of friends and family when she was born that, that sent us, because um, you couldn't get everything over there that we can get over here, sent us all kinds of baby stuff, right? For, so like clothes and shoes and toys and like baby monitors with screens, like the whole nine yards. We just got all this stuff. And after about a year, we decided, you know, Haley began to outgrow some of these things. And so we sorted through all of her clothes, all of her baby stuff that she couldn't use anymore. And we kind of broke them into three categories. So it's the keepsake stuff that we were gonna bring back to the States just for memory's sake. And we were gonna keep some things that were special to us. And we had a, a, another, another uh, kind of pile that we were gonna give away to people that we knew that had babies. And so we, we took all these really, like I'm talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of baby stuff. And we put them in like two or three black trash bags and we just kind of put them over by the door. And twice a week, we had a helper that would come in and help us clean our house. And uh, so, so she came in one day and the next day I go in there and the bags are gone. I'm like, Cheryl, where, did, you, did you move all the, the baby clothes, all the stuff that we had? And she's like, no, I thought, well, I thought you did it. And so we kind of scrambled around for 10 or 15 minutes trying to figure out. And finally it just dawned on us what had happened. Right, and so we, we called our helper and said, hey, did you happen to get like three big trash bags and take them in the trash? She's like, yeah, of course, of course I did. So we run out there to the, like the dumpster was going there, the trash truck had already come by, it was gone. We lost all of it, right? It was, go it was, it was gone forever. Now that, that wasn't her fault, that, that was my fault, right? I, I put something valuable in the wrong place and I lost it. And hope is the same way, it's valuable. And listen guys, if we put it in the wrong place, we will lose it. Now you, you see this all the time in our culture, right? People put their hope in a political ideology or they put their hope in a relationship with a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or they live vicariously through their kids. You see that all the time too. They put their hope in a job, like man, if I could just get this certain job, making this certain salary, then I'd finally be happy, everything would be good, or they put their hope in good health, right? And so that's why you see so many people fearful now with the virus and stuff, everybody's kind of freaked out, they wanna guard, they're putting their hope in good health. And when any of those things begins to break down and fail them, listen guys, as they for sure will, it's not, not a matter of if those things let you down, it is only a matter of when those things let you down. And when their things, they're, the things that they begin to place their hope in fails them, their hope begins to tank. Because listen guys, misplaced hope leads to hopelessness. Misplaced hope always leads to hopelessness. I love the way C.S. Lewis put this. This will be on the screens for you. He says this, don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. And isn't that really good advice, guys? Don't let your happiness 
depend on something that you could lose. Don't place your hope somewhere where it could be lost. Like that's fool's gold. Don't be a fool. Don't place, your, don't place your hope in something that you could lose. Now, I want you to listen to Simeon's response. He sees Jesus. He walks into the temple complex. That person he's been waiting on, this Messiah, is finally there. He scoops him up in his arms, and this is what he says. This is known as Simeon's song, right? So just picture this old, weathered man. He's holding Jesus, probably tears of joy streaming down his face as he looks into the eyes of his creator, and this is what he says. Verse 29, Lord, now, are you, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. So Simeon's going, now I can die in peace. Simeon's going, man, I'm old. I'm tired. I've been through a lot of stuff. I've seen a lot of things. I've waited for this moment. I've trusted this promise. I've trusted in this Messiah. And now I've seen him. Now he's here. I'm good, I'm ready to go. Let me just say, man, that is another mark, I believe, of a mature, godly person is that they get to the place in their journey where they don't fear death. They don't fear death because their hope is in the one who conquered death and promises eternal life after death to his people. So let me, this may be just a reminder, a refresher for you. So let me, let me just say, if you're here in the room, if you're watching online, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to know this morning, you don't have to be afraid of death. You got nothing to fear in this world. Now that doesn't mean that we have kind of a, a death wish where we just go looking for trouble. It doesn't mean that we become uh, martyrs. But, but what, it, what it does mean is that we do not fear the things that the world fears. Like our life should be different. How we react should be different from the world around us. We shouldn't fear death. And so that leads right into kind of the second point that I just wanna drive home. This will be on the screens for you. Believer, place hope in Jesus now. Placing hope in him now allows you to be fearless later on. Here's the, here's the reality, guys. We're all gonna face death one day. We're all gonna look right in the face of death one day unless Jesus comes back. We're praying that he would. But unless he does, we're all gonna look right into the face of death one day. We're all gonna walk through really dark, really painful seasons in life. And I'm just telling you, placing your hope in Jesus now will allow you to walk in courage then. And we see that in the life of Simeon. And I, I believe this is what God wants for all of us. See, the reality is hope is something that's birthed through a process of placing faith in Jesus and beginning to grow in him. Now, let me, let me show you what that looks like. You don't have to turn there. This will be uh, on the screen for you. This is Romans chapter five. This is the apostle Paul. I want you to listen to what he says. He writes this, therefore, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the what? in the hope of glory, the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, which by the way is something our culture does very, very poorly. He's saying we rejoice even in our suffering. Why, Paul? He tells us why. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, this is the part of the hope formula that nobody really likes. 
suffering, right? How many of you wanna sign up for a little bit of suffering next year, right? Man, just, just give me the pain train. Give, 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 me, give me the hard things next year. Give me the, no, nobody's signing up for that. But Paul's saying this is a very important part of the process that you cannot skip. And so let me just give you the hope formula on the screens. If you're a note taker, you can just kind of jot this down. I think it's a really easy way to remember it. But what Paul says is the way you get to hope, the way you get to this kind of hope that cannot be rocked, that cannot be shaken, is suffering that leads to endurance Endurance that leads to character as you become more like Jesus, and finally you end up with the hope of Jesus in your life. So here's what I wanna say. Trials, pain in the Christian life. Listen, that's not a bug, that's a feature of following Jesus. See, a lot of people get kind of mixed up. They start following Jesus and then things get hard in their life. They're like, oh, dang, I guess I did something wrong. I guess Jesus is not really real. This Christian thing is not working for me. Listen, I'm telling you, suffering in the Christian life is not a bug, it's a feature. Listen, it's in the dark seasons, it's in the pain, oftentimes it's in the silence that God tends to do his best work in us as he shapes us into the image of his son and he gives us the hope of his son. So here's another way of saying it. When you suffer like Jesus, you become more like Jesus so that you can experience the hope of Jesus. Now I love the way that Augustine, the great church father, put it, this will also be on the screens for you. Augustine wrote this, in my deepest wound, I saw your glory and it dazzled me. Now, isn't it interesting that if you go back and you read the reformers, you read the church fathers, you read the early saints of the first two or three centuries of the Christian movement, they all write like this. Isn't it interesting that Augustine didn't say, hey, on the, on the beautiful day when everything was going right in my life, when the sun was shining and the birds were singing, I saw your glory and it dazzled me. No, 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 he says, in my deepest pain, in my deepest wound, on my darkest day, when everything felt hopeless, I saw your glory. In the darkness, your hope shone brightly in my life, and it dazzled me. See, Augustine, Simeon, believers for thousands of years have found unshakable hope by placing their hope in an unshakable king. And I want you to listen to me. This is the kind of hope that you need this Christmas season. This is the kind of hope that you need. And not only you, this is the kind of hope that your family and your friends and your coworkers and your classmates need this Christmas season. Because this is the only kind of hope that will last when things get tough in life. Now this kind of hope also, I think, fascinatingly does something to our perspective, does something to the way that we, we view the world around us. I want you to watch this. This is the last part of Simeon's song, beginning in verse 30. He says this, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And remember, he's holding Jesus. He's looking at Jesus. For my eyes have now seen your salvation. Listen to this, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. That's basically the whole world outside of the Jewish nation. And for the glory to your people, Israel. Simeon, Simeon was saying that this hope, this Messiah, this hope is not just for the Jews. Now you gotta understand how shocking that would have been as a statement in the, in the Jewish world 2,000 years ago. He's saying, listen, Jesus is not just a Jewish savior. Jesus is not just an American savior. He's a savior of the world. In fact, we see the culmination of this in a beautiful passage in Revelation chapter seven. On that final day when Jesus comes and he establishes his kingdom on earth, it says there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around the throne worshiping the lamb. Church, what he's saying is this hope is not just for us. 
This hope is not just for us. Listen, guys, our faith may be personal, but it is never private. Our faith may be personal, but it's never private. See, that's something our culture, I think, gets twisted. In America, probably the Western culture in general, is like, hey, man, that, that's, that, that's, that's personal. That's private. We don't talk about our belief system, our spiritual system. No, no, no. It may be personal, but it's never private. So that leads us to our last point on the screens for you. Listen, guys, hope receivers always become hope givers. Receivers of hope must become givers of hope. We get hope, we give hope. That's the pattern of discipleship, right? We don't, we don't hide what we got. We offer it freely to those who need a drink from the well of life. And so this Christmas season, let me just challenge you as we begin to land the plane this morning. Let me challenge you. If you're here, if you're watching online and you would claim to be a follower of Jesus, you'd say, yeah, that, that's me, man. I, I love Jesus. I'm not perfect, but but I love him, I'm a disciple, I'm doing my best to follow him, I have a relationship with Jesus. Let me just encourage you, here's the challenge this Christmas season. Find someone, and maybe it's just one person, find someone to share hope with this Christmas season. One practical way that you can share hope with somebody this season. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you. For you, maybe that's something as simple as inviting a friend, a colleague, a neighbor, or a classmate to the Christmas Eve Eve service with you so that they can hear about the love and the hope that they can also have in Jesus. Maybe it's something as simple as that. Maybe it looks like inviting a, a college student who has family that's far away, doesn't have anywhere to go for Christmas, inviting them over to your home to celebrate Christmas with your family this Christmas season. Maybe it looks like sharing what Christmas really means to you as a follower of Jesus with somebody that you love and care about who's far away from God. Maybe it's just calling somebody up and having lunch or having coffee and saying, hey man, I'm excited about Christmas. I know you love Christmas too. Let me tell you why I'm so excited about Christmas. Yeah, I love the trees. I love the eggnog. I love all that stuff. But let me tell you the real reason I'm super excited about Christmas. It's because we have a God who loved us so much that he came on a rescue mission to save us. And I know this God and he's changed my life. And I think that he wants to change your life too. Man, anybody can do that this Christmas season. So whatever it is, let me just encourage you, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, find one way that you can be a hope giver in a practical way this Christmas season. Because listen, church family, you gotta know this. Worldly hope is totally different than God hope. Worldly hope is totally different than God hope. Here's what, here's what worldly hope is like. Worldly hope is like, hey, I, I hope that I don't get sick and die. All right, I'm just kind of crossing my fingers. Could happen, could not happen. I, I hope that I don't get sick. I hope that I don't die. I hope that next year I'm gonna get a better job. May happen, may not. I hope that next year I finally meet Mr. Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, Mr. 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 Wright, Mr. Wright, Mrs. Wright. I hope that I find that one person that's finally gonna completely, may, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. I hope that next year I get wealthy. Maybe I hit the lottery next year, right? It, it's just this kind of whimsical, cross your fingers, and hope that something happens, but there's no guarantee. And I want you to understand, God hope is totally different. Totally different. I want you to watch this. There's a couple of verses in Hebrews that I wanna see. This will be on the screens for you. Hebrews 11 says this. Now faith is the what? Is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 6 says this. We have this hope as a what? As an anchor for the soul firm and secure. God hope is an anchor. It is assured. It's the kind of hope that, listen guys, it's the kind of hope that you could take to the bank. It's the kind of hope that you can stake your life on because it's not anchored in something that you could ever lose. 
It's anchored in a king who conquered death, who is alive today, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for me right now as we speak. I want to close with this passage from Hebrews chapter 10 as the worship team comes. This is amazing. Let this be our anthem as we leave this place, as we step into the Christmas season in 2021. Let this be our manifesto. Hebrews 10, 23. I love this. It said this, says this. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Church, this is the kind of hope that will never let you down. This is the kind of hope that you need. Let me encourage you as we close, just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute. If you're in the house, if you're online, not gonna do anything weird, but just bow your heads, close your eyes for a minute. I wanna just eliminate any distractions so you can do business with God right now. Let me just say, if you're, if you're here in the room right now, let me just say, if you're watching online right now and you've never experienced this kind of hope, the unshakable hope that's only found in Jesus. I don't care if you're a religious person or irreligious person, a church person, a non-church person. If you've never had your heart revolutionized by this kind of hope, just like Simeon's heart was, as he anticipated that messianic savior all those years ago, I want you to know that you can begin that journey of hope today. God can change that for you. If you're a part of that statistic that we looked at earlier, 51% of young people live in hopelessness in our country over the last 18 months. One in four have contemplated taking their own lives. If you're a part of one of those categories, I want you to know that you have a God in heaven who created you, who loves you, who has a plan for your life, and he wants to give you hope. He doesn't want you to walk in hopelessness. You don't have to live in hopelessness. There is hope. And his name is Jesus. So if you don't know him, let me just encourage you. Would, you. would you give your life? Would you open your heart up today? Would you confess your sin? Say, God, I'm tired of trying to do things my way. I realize I'm a sinner. I want to turn from my sin. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want you to give me your Holy Spirit so I can live a life of hope in the good times and in the bad times. And if that's your heart, let me just encourage you to pray that prayer right now in your heart. Give your life to Jesus. Now here's the second part of that challenge as we wrap it up. If you're here and you know Jesus, but you would have to confess, like I would have to confess, man, the last two years have been really disorienting. Been really distracting spiritually. And maybe like me, you would have to be honest enough to just confess, God, I love you, but man, I, I have, I've been sidetracked recently. I, I've had my eyes on all the wrong things in life. And maybe, maybe I've even put my hope in things that I know ultimately will, will let me down. And maybe for you, you've, you love Jesus, man, but you've been placing your hope in the wrong thing. You've placed your hope in a political ideology or in your health or a job or wealth or a person or a relationship or whatever it is. And what you need to do today as a follower of Jesus is simply repent and say, God, I'm so sorry for placing my hope in anything other than the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And the challenge for you, beloved follower of Jesus, 
son or daughter of the king of the universe, the challenge for you is simply to restake your hope in Jesus today. To recommit your heart and your life and say, God, I'm sorry for placing my hope in all these other little G gods, but today, starting today, I'm gonna refocus. I'm gonna recenter my heart. I'm gonna recenter my affections on Jesus. I'm placing all of my hope in him this Christmas season. And if that's you, just pray that prayer to God right now in the silence of where you're sitting. God hears you. And he'll respond. He'll be faithful to those kinds of prayers. Let me pray for us and then we're gonna worship our King. God, would you continually remind us that we are hardwired for hope, but it's so important that we place our hope in the right thing. Because if we place our hope in the wrong things, we're gonna, we're gonna lose our hope. Misguided hope leads to hopelessness. So God, help us to keep our hope anchored in Jesus, the only source of true, living, lasting hope. Help us to keep our hope this Christmas season in the right place. And Father, on top of that, for those of us who already know you and love you, would you remind us that you didn't just give us this kind of unshakable hope so that we could hide it under a bushel, so that we could keep it for ourselves, but you gave us this hope so that we could become agents of hope to the world around us, God. So would you help us to do that? Would you help us to think in creative ways? Would you, think, would, you, would you help us to think outside the box this Christmas season for how we can engage those in our circle of influence who are far from you, who need to know your love and experience your hope? Would you help us find practical ways to be hope givers this Christmas season so that we could point people to the hope that's found in Jesus? We pray all these things in his beautiful name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Church, let's stand, let's worship him.